If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. 16, beginning a series of messages uh, titled, Why Am I Here? And um, uh, how many of you were at the prophetic conference? Was it great? I really believe in all the years we've been doing it, it was our best one yet. Many of you were very blessed by some words that you received, and um, uh, talked to to several of you about it. And um, I'm very excited about what's going on in your lives, what God is saying to you, what God's doing, what He's planned for you. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, as Paul told Timothy, to wage a good warfare with the prophecies that have been spoken over you. Amen. Amen. So that God gives you these things, this insight on, into, your, into the secrets of your heart, as 1 Corinthians 14 talks about. But there's also something out there that you don't see many times that God has planned and begins to talk to you about what you're coming into. So that you don't get satisfied and don't get caught up with the things that are going on around you, the circumstances as this is my lot in life. But no, but rather you have a word from God to hold on to that will cause you to rise above. Every challenge and face every challenge and overcome every obstacle in your life. And because God has called us to a life of victory. Amen. Victory in every situation, every circumstance. He has won a great battle. Jesus unraveled the works of the devil, the scripture says. For this purpose, he came to destroy the works. That word destroy means to unravel his works. Rendered him powerless. I believe he did a good job of it. Amen. So... But, but, the, but our part in this deal is to activate our faith in that victory that he accomplished, that he purchased for us with his precious blood. Amen. I want to say hello to all of you who are for the very first time. Thank you for being here with us at One Cause Church. And uh, we just want you to know we always have a place here for you. And we're very glad to have you today. Pray that your experience with us today is one where you feel very welcomed, excited, that you are charged and challenged and changed by the Word of God, and by an experience in His presence. Amen. Um, Daniel Plowman, a friend of our ministry, who sometimes is one of the speakers at our prophetic conference, he just came this year and hung out with us. And on the last night, on Wednesday night, uh, the last night of the conference, he uh, was videoing one of the songs that the worship team was doing, Jesus, Jesus Be the Center. It was the last song. And so he took about four minutes um, of a video clip on his phone, and then and after it was over, he went back to his house and he and he posted it on Facebook. Well, the next morning, next morning, a friend of his, a lady friend he's known for many years, um, she's a grandmother and mother of beautiful children, got a good husband, has a good life, except for the fact that she has battled deep, had deep bouts of depression through the years. She was uh, she was sexually abused as a child, and so she's had lots of issues in that arena, attempted suicide two to three times, um, and just had some real trouble in that area. Um, and so she said when she got up Thursday morning after, when she said, I woke up and there was that dark cloud hanging over me, and she goes, it was just a heaviness. And I thought, oh, I don't want to have this kind of day today. Went over to a computer, turned it on, and she said, Daniel, I saw your Facebook, and I saw that you had posted a video. And she said, when I clicked on that video, and that girl with the pink hair was singing, she was singing that song, Jesus Be the Sinner. She said the intensity of her worship 
broke that cloud off of me. She goes, I, I was completely set free at that moment. And I have had the best couple of days I've had in years, she said. I'm, she said, I'm telling you, things changed by that little four-minute experience. And you know what? That was just a taste of what we were all experiencing here over the last few days. But this, is, this power is real. The power of God is real. And he came to set the captives free. And I'm just glad that we're able to be a part. But what, what she didn't know was that that afternoon, Candace had received news that she had an uncle who was very dear to their family passed away suddenly. And um, so she came to church with some grief in her heart. And she opened up, she just sang her heart out to God in worship. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That she who was grieving and feeling the loss of a loved one just gave out her praise and someone on the other side, just the next day, who was, who was feeling grief and feeling depression, that stuff was broke off of them by her praise to God. There's great deliverance in praise. And so that's, why, that's one of the reasons why we do it. Not just so that we experience the freedom ourselves, but that others may also know this great power, this great God that we serve, who is a liberating God, who is a life-giving God. Amen. Uh, so... All right, let's jump into this message. Matthew chapter 16. I'm just going to start today a little bit of foundation about where we're going. But really, I, the question is, why am I here? And, and, I'm, and I mean by, what I mean by that question is, why am I here specifically on earth? God has a purpose for our earthly existence. And verse 26, we pick up where Jesus said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Father, thank you for these next few minutes under the influence of your word and the hearing of your word. I thank you that you grace my lips. God, it's an honor and a privilege to stand here yet again to deliver your life-giving message. And I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ will now be upon every hearer today. God, that the word of God will do what it does so that we are bettered by this experience, God. Your life, your word causes us to rise up. It causes us to come up. And we thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus in this scripture is... He's challenging us about our lives. He's challenging us about how we see life in this world. And he gives us this view uh, that, of our lives that we need to view them from a bigger perspective. For more than just what we own or what we do in this world. How would you today define your life? Would you define your life by... By the title that you carry maybe at your job, uh, would you define your life by the things that you have, the, the, the stuff that you've accumulated in life? How would you define it? Is there more to it than just these things? What is the most important thing? What is the most important thing for us as believers? What's the most important thing for One Cause Church? I think that we'll, you know, we, we all look to the book, right? 
we're all Bible believers here. We're all followers of the Bible, and we, we live our lives accordingly, or we at least try to live our lives according to the truth of the Scripture. So in that, we find agreement. In that, we find commonality. And so, but what is, so what is the most important thing to us as, as believers? I, I think that all of us would agree today that the most important thing above all things is to have eternal life. About a third of you were in that with me. But I believe as believers that we would all agree that the most important thing is to be born again. Is to have a real relationship with God above all other things. Can I get a really good amen on that? All right. Now I'm encouraged. Thank you. And it's, you know, it's more important than being healed. Healing is good, isn't it? I've been healed. I've laid my hands on people and they've received healing. I've seen it. But this is more important than being healed because what good is it going to do me if I do get healed of a sickness or a disease only to go into eternity without God? And that was just a short-term benefit then. What good does it do me if I have a nice car and a home paid off and all my bills are paid and yet go into eternity without God? Those things aren't going to assist me. They're not going to help me. I want us to just take a moment to look through the Scriptures about our life here on earth, what the Scripture has to say from different people's perspective who, who by the Spirit of God, were, were inspired to write these things down. And I, I want to first just look at the wisest man who ever lived. Can anybody name that person? No, it's Eric Holler. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I heard that. All right. Yes, it was King Solomon. Nobody had wisdom like this man. And he, and he wrote this book, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want you to hear what he has to say about life here on earth. Verse 3, he says, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. That includes Abraham. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and, the, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor and this was my reward for all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. This is the conclusion that the man who has the more wisdom than any other man who walked the planet this is the conclusion he comes to concerning the efforts of man. 
the accumulation of man. And that's the end of the day. It's vanity grasping for the wind. So there's something way more important, isn't there? David, the great king, as Israel calls him, through whom his lineage, Christ, came through. David writes in Psalm chapter 39, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths and my ages as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Selah. Selah all means to pause and think about that. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He, keeps, he heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Which means he, he, he acquires all of this wealth, but when he dies, he doesn't have any idea who's going to end up with it. And the truth is, kids and grandkids are going to take your stuff after you die and put them out on the driveway and sell them for nickels and dimes. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Job, verse 14, Job says in verse 1, Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. The apostle Peter also, in 1 Peter 1, 24, he is bringing back to remembrance the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah chapter 40, and he says this, Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. And lastly, I want to look at what our apostle, the apostle Paul, has to say concerning life here on the earth, life in the flesh. And he says in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, that is our outward man perishing, but at the things that are not seen, that is the inward man being renewed day by day. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So anything in this natural realm then is relatively petty, isn't it, compared to when you think about your life being a vapor or a fading flower or grass that withers. You know what? The truth is you will live forever somewhere. It's one thing that many people today don't realize or think about, take the time to think about, is that you are an eternal being. And you have no choice about that. From the moment of conception, you became an eternal being. I mean, the fact that you exist has settled the fact that you will exist forever. But you do have a choice, and you only have a choice about this one thing, where where you want to exist. It's either in the presence of the Father or it's not. 
But the truth is, you are going to exist forever. Which means that your neighbor is going to exist forever. Your coworkers are going to exist forever. The guy who flipped you off in traffic is going to exist forever. We're all going to. Your family, they're all going to live somewhere forever. Forever's a long time. Now, when you're a kid, remember how long a day was? I can remember how long an hour was. The last hour of school. The longest hour of the day. Three o'clock school is going to let out. Two o'clock comes and everything slows down to a snail's pace. Right? I can remember just watching that clock, battling with that clock. Why are you mocking me? Move! Right? And then your perspective, though, about the length of time changes as you grow. A month then seems like a long time, and it keeps getting larger the older you get. I remember, uh, you know, when, uh, when Heather and I were having babies, we'd have older folks walk up to us regularly and say, enjoy them while you got them, because someday you're going to turn around, they're all going to be grown up. And I was always like, well, that's easy for you to say. You're not changing diapers right now. You're not buying gold dust, otherwise known as formula. <laughs> You're probably getting sleep at night. Right? And when you're in it, you don't see that. You don't think about things like that. But lo and behold, Heather and I turned around one day. Now we've got two teenage daughters and a son who's on the brink of being a teenager. And now we find ourselves telling other people things like, enjoy them while they think you're the smartest. (laughs) Enjoy them while they hang on your every word. Enjoy them while they don't have an opinion. (laughs) That That you can't just easily whip out of them, that is. And I find that these older folks have been right all along. So however long you think you've been around and however much stuff you have experienced and seen, eternity is so much longer. So compared to our life on earth, maybe we should really consider and think hard even more about what is really important to me. And I mean me as in you. What is important? What is really important to you? What's what's important to God? You're here today because something about this church you're drawn to and you feel a part of. So what's important for us as a church? All human beings are eternal beings. So we simply live our eternity with God or without Him. The love of God, thank God, reaches out to all mankind. Jesus said it like this, God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the great thing about Christianity, it, about God. He, took, he has taken all the confusion out of life. Religion confuses, confuses the world. It confuses the world. There's, 
the, the, this religion here, this religion here, this religion. No, God gave the answer in one person for the entire world, simplified it for all of us so that we could know for certain the way, and it is through his son. But God's love reaches to all mankind to help them, to heal them, to bless them, to comfort them, but most of all to save them for all eternity. And above all things, people being born again is absolutely the most important thing. I believe that. Do you believe that today? I mean, the very reason we're called One Cause Church, the very reason why we're called this, because we believe in the one cause of Christ Jesus. That is his message, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, and Christ rose again from the dead three days later. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. It's, it's that cause that keeps us coming. It, keep, it's, it keeps us serving, keeps us believing, keeps us fighting. Fighting for this cause. It's beautiful. And I don't mean fighting men. I'm talking about just overcoming things in our lives. Keep our perspective right. Keep that heavenly, eternal perspective before us at all times. So when we get wrapped up in the everyday stuff as this is all there is. when we're living for so much more. I want you to turn to John chapter 3 for a moment. John chapter 3 verse 1. We find a man named Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this is a very religious man. He's one of the church leaders of his time. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's interesting, Jesus had a few encounters with Pharisees along the way with religious leaders of his time. Most of those encounters were not good. Jesus had names for these guys. Hypocrites, brood of vipers, sons of the devil. Really encouraging names, right? These are all religious leaders. He didn't call sinners these things. He called church goers this. <laughs> That's interesting. Not just church goers, church leaders. Because they were sold out to a religion and not a relationship with God. All the must do and the must not do's. And nobody could live up to that. Nobody could live up to that standard ever. A couple of different Pharisees came to Jesus. One of them was a rich young ruler, and he came to Jesus and said, What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, Jesus said, Well, you know the commandments. Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. And he said, I've kept all of these things from my youth. And the scripture says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, There's one thing you lack. Wouldn't that be good to? To know that you only lacked one thing, right? It's pretty good. But if you're married, you know you lack a lot of things, right, guys? You're constantly reminded. Not my marriage. It's never like that. But I know some of you come and see me in the office, and we cry together. And... <laughs> um, but he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And so Jesus says those things, and then he says, I've done all that. Jesus said, one, lack, one thing you lack. Sell what you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. 
And the young man went away sadly because he had great riches. And Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, you can see that two different ways. There was a place called the eye of the needle where camels literally had to get low to pass through this area. It's very difficult. Or just think about a needle itself. Either way, it's very difficult. Matter of, matter of fact, the disciples, it says the disciples were astonished at this saying. Now, Religion would have you believe that all these guys were poor, right? Now, poor guys are not going to react like that. These guys said, Lord, then who can be saved? But if they're poor, they're going to go, that's right, the stinking rich people, that's what they deserve. Right? I mean, they would immediately separate themselves from, but no, that something's going on here. These, these are not just poor thugs. That Jesus went and picked up along there, just homeless street guy. These are businessmen, tax collector, doctors, fishermen. And they said, Lord, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but not with God. And then Jesus explained to them that it's not that the man had possessions. It's that his possessions had him and that's the difference between the two. You either serve money or money serves you. It makes a lot better servant than it does a master. It's designed to serve you. So Jesus talks to this man under the context of the law, and then another lawyer comes up to him. That is, not, not one who would, you know, uh, like our lawyers today, ambulance chaser, but he... he actually was a, in the school of the law, knew the law well. And he came to Jesus and asked him that same question. What, what do I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law. You know what's written. What is your understanding of it? What is your reading of it? And the man said, well, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's it. And then the man says this, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And he says this, the scripture says he said that to justify himself. That is to make himself feel okay. Because if you're living by laws and you're preaching about laws, then you want yourself to feel okay about what you do and what you don't do. And he needed Jesus to stamp, put a stamp of approval on. Yeah, but who's my neighbor? Explain who that is. And then Jesus goes into the story and tells him about this man who was beat up by thieves and robbers and mugged and thrown to the side of the road. And then this priest comes walking by one day and sees the man there. And the scripture says that he passed by on the other side and kept walking his way. And the next man is a Levite, who just means he was also a religious leader, a religious man. He comes upon this man who's beaten and thrown to the side of the road. The scripture says he actually came over and looked at him and then went over to the other side of the road and walked his way. And then this half-Jew shows up. Now, this cannot be easy for this man to hear this story, this Samaritan who is, they don't, they don't mingle with the Jews well. They're seen as outcasts. The Samaritan, he says, comes up and sees the man there on the side of the road, and he goes over to him and begins to tend to his wounds pouring in oil and wine and then taking and putting upon his, upon his own animal and then walked him into town and put him up for a few nights at the hotel, gave the man money there, the man who was running the hotel, and said, that if, he, if you spend any more money, when I come back, I'll repay you everything. He's willing to give up his resources, his time, his care. And then Jesus looks at this lawyer and says, go and do the same. 
So the man asked, who's my neighbor? But then Jesus said, what kind of neighbor are you? And he always gets to the heart of the matter about things, doesn't he? But under the, he always talked to these people under the context of the law, except this Pharisee comes to him and Jesus says something most extraordinary. Verse 3 of John 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again? Well, that doesn't have anything to do with the law, does it? You can't do to be born. You just be born. You just be born. He's telling this man of the law, Really, he's talking about grace and faith here. He's talking about a new covenant reality that was definitely on the horizon. That men would no longer have a relationship with God by do's and don'ts, but they would be children of God, born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus, bless his heart, said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter? a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, that's a pretty reasonable thing to ask if you're thinking in the natural, right? He has no concept of the Spirit here, except that he recognizes Jesus that he is from God. He doesn't question that. He doesn't come to him to, to see what he needs to do to get eternal life. He comes and says, hey, I know who you are. We know who you are. We know you're from God. So faith was an action for him, for Jesus to tell him, what really is important? That should be born again. Unless born, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the water and of the Spirit. So there's a natural birth and there's a spiritual birth. We're all born of water. When the water breaks, we know that the baby is just on the brink of being birthed. We knew that with Heather, when, with our third child, because her water broke and it kept on breaking. And it kept on breaking. And it kept on. I never seen anything like it. The nurses had never seen anything. As a matter of fact, the one who was in there when this happened, she runs out of the room and goes gets all these other nurses and brings them in and says, Can you believe all this water? It was running off the sides of the bed. I've never seen anything. I don't want to be too graphic with you, but it's too late. It was run, running off the sides of the bed. I mean, we're like, Wow! I'm thinking, did, did, is she okay? Is this, is this ever going to end? This kept, but it was kind of cool. It was a confirmation for us, actually, for, about naming our son because we were between two names, one Dylan and the other, I don't even remember the other name. But the name Dylan means son of the sea. So when we're seeing, I looked at her, I said, his name is Dylan, apparently. We're born of the water. Jesus said, we're also born of the Spirit. Spirit, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's at that second birth that you become connected to God. It's at that second birth that you come alive to God. You have a spirit before you're born because we're all spirit beings. Like I said, the moment you're conceived, you're an eternal being. But it's not connected to God. 
You've got to be born again to be connected to God. People identify themselves as being spiritual, right? Doing all kinds of different things. Making long trips. When I was in India, I've ran across a lot of people who are there to find some guru up in the mountains, you know, to learn what the meaning of life is. And they go on these trips and hike mountains and do all these things for spiritual awareness to attain to nirvana or whatever. There are all kinds of funky ideas out there, you know, crystals for power and soothsayers and palm readers and all these kinds of things because we're all spirits and so we have this connection. A lot of people don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing, but really, as Paul so beautifully said it, we're all really groping for God. Some are just in the darkness trying. I mean, so I don't have a problem with people saying they're spiritual. I mean, they can be spiritual and not believe in Jesus. Not connected to God. It's, it's a spirituality that does not lead to life. And no matter how many trees you hug, you'll never attain to eternal life that way. It's got to happen through a new birth experience. A new birth. Born again. Glory to God. You must be, Jesus said, you must be born again. If you want eternal life, that's how it's going to happen. We're all, the first birth, we're all born, yeah, we're all born into sin, the scripture teaches us. It's not that we sin that makes us a sinner, it's the fact that we're born that makes us a sinner. Thank you, Adam, for that. We're born a sinner. Right? Well, you know, a lot of the fight today is, is people being born with certain conditions or certain ways. One is people say they're born gay. And we've, you know, and there's, there's been struggle. There's, no, that's a choice. That's a choice. That's the fighting on that. I don't have any problem with that. People saying they're born gay. So was I. So were you. I know you don't like to hear that, but it's the way it is. You're also born a thief. You're also born a murderer, a liar, a gossip, an adulterer, a fornicator. You're born all those things. Born right into sin. I have good news. You can be born again. However you were born the first time, doesn't matter. You can be born again. That's the cure. Because it's not what you're doing. That is the problem. It's who you are. But Christ did not become a sinner. The scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus became the condition of sin so that our condition could then change. So it wasn't about us being able to perform righteous acts. We became righteousness itself, the very essence of righteousness. And righteousness then is a fruit of who we are. It's greater than just doing. It's greater than works. It's greater than action. God changed our very nature. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone. New things have come. It's a whole new life. It's a whole new reality. And being born again means that you're more than just somebody who can serve God. You've become a child of God, sons of God. And the scripture says if you're a son of God, then you're an heir with Christ. That means you have an inheritance laid up for you as a child of the living God. This born again experience is, well, it's quite wonderful. 
Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. So I don't, I don't want to just be in that company where all roads lead to God. They will. They will. All roads will lead to God. Straight to the judgment seat of God. Right to the judge. God the judge. But only one road will lead you to the Father. And that's the road. Not that any man could make or build, but God built a road to us. And all who get on that road, which is Christ, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Go to the Father. John 3, 17, Jesus said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You know why this is important? This is very important. Because you know what? Most people, and I'm sad to say many Christians, believe that God is condemning the world. And that He's judging the world. They think he's angry at the world, angry at the sin of man, as if Christ had accomplished nothing when God poured out all of his wrath on his son. Now, you might be angry about it, but God's not. Otherwise, he's unjust. He can't be mad at you and mad at Jesus, too. He poured out his wrath on Jesus so that you would escape all of that. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. See, this is how, this is how wonderfully God has set this up for us. That everyone's names are written in this book because of what Jesus did. Everybody has reservations made in heaven. All you have to do is claim your reservation. That's all you have to do. And the scripture says over in, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will clothe in white garments and I will not blot out his name, which means his name was already there. I will not blot out his name or I will not cancel his reservation. To him who overcomes, what does it mean to overcome? Oh, this is beautiful. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in God. He who has faith is what it's saying. I will get clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name. But there will be men and women who will show up there, who will show up before God with no faith. And God had this table set before them. He has reservations, and they didn't claim their reservation. So then, oh, no good or loving God. I just can't believe that God would send anybody to hell. God's not sending anybody to hell. They're sending themselves straight there. God, they're doing it by their own choice. And what hell really is, is the day that they wake up without God and then realize, I did this myself. This was my choice. I have nobody else to blame but myself. I had the choice. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the most important thing? That we all experience, that we all get connected to God through this born-again experience. Let's keep that at the 
front of our minds, huh? Let's keep that pounding in our hearts so that wherever we go, we understand we're carriers of a very important message. It's in that message that men have the opportunity to receive new life. The scripture says it like this. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, how do you show you're not ashamed? You tell it. You say it. You proclaim it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. See, it's not your prayer. It's not you trying to get them saved. That's the power to salvation. It's you proclaiming the gospel. And in that message itself, in the gospel, is all the power they need to be saved if they'll just believe it. It's not my job to save people. It's my job to tell people. It's the gospel's job to save people. Amen. So there's no pressure on you concerning that. That's God's job. That's God's doing. But it is on all of us here in this room, including you and you and you and you and you and you. Say, that's me. To tell them. What do we tell them? The gospel. What is it? Can you guys help me a little bit? Christ died for our sins. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day. Believe that and receive everlasting life. Man, that sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It is too good, and it's still true. Glory to God. So that you can live in this reality as a believer, that all good things never come to an end. Because Christ is our high priest of the good things to come. That's what the Scripture says. Good things to come. So if good things end, then Christ ends. And since he's never going to end, the good things are never going to end. That's good. To all those who believe on him. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Before we're dismissed today, I want to give you the opportunity, if you're here today with us at One Cause Church, and you have, you've never believe this for yourself. You've never accepted the fact that Christ did die for you. You've heard it said that he died for the world, but have you really accepted it for yourself personally? He did. He did it for you. He died for your sins. That's what was separating you from God. That was the whole trouble with the world. But Christ came and solved all that by what he did. The scripture teaches us that the penalty for sin is death. That's the wage. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus paid the wage, took the penalty. He pronounced the judgment for sin, and then he carried the sentence out himself so that you never would experience, ever, so that you would not experience eternity without God. This is the most important thing above all things in this world. What kind of career you'll have, what kind of schooling you'll do, who you'll marry, how many kids you'll have, how much money you want to earn, and all those things are fine. But compared to eternity, don't leave here today unsure about that. When God has loved you so much that He offered up His most precious gift for you, His own Son, Man, how much love is that? I have children. I, I wouldn't give them up for anybody. But God far exceeds my ability to love. 
And even while the world wasn't even looking for him, some of them were even shaking their fists up at heaven in defiance toward this God. Yet God sent his son who died for us. And he was buried in a tomb. And three days later, God raised him from the dead so that our faith would always be alive. And Jesus is now seated at his Father's right hand. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for you right now. He loves you. And I want to invite you today. You say, Pastor Eric, I'm not sure about eternity. I realize today that I will be somewhere. I want to be with God. I want to enjoy heaven and all it has for eternity. I don't want to miss that. I want to make that most important decision today to believe on Jesus for myself and to bring him into my life so that he'll walk with me every day while I'm here. And then when I close my eyes in death, I'll certainly wake up in heaven. And if I'm talking to you right now, would you just raise your hand if you say, Pastor Rick, that's me. Pray for me today. I want to know. I want to be sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to be sure. I want to get on that right road. Thank you. I believe today that Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Now, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. We're all going to say this together. You raised your hand here today to surrender your life to Christ. I'm going to lend you some words. These words are words for you to repeat, but really it's about your heart believing. Let's all say this together. God, I understand my need for Jesus. And I understand that you love me so much that you sent him to die for me. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he was buried and I believe that he, ra he was raised again from the dead. And my hope is in him. Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I'm free from sin and from eternal destruction. I am now in the family of God. Good days are ahead for me. Jesus is Lord of my life. And from this day forward, Lord, I need you with me. And I thank you that you are with me. And I give you everything I am and all that I have. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Let's stand together. Amen. This has been so good today. Now, when you leave here today, that message that is in you, let it not just burn inside you, but release that message. There's so many people that just need to hear that God loves them. They need to hear this beautiful gospel that God so loved us that he gave us Jesus. And in him, there is life. There is real life. Amen. Hallelujah. But before we're dismissed today, I want to announce that there's no Thrive this Thursday night. That is, our teenagers will not be meeting because it's 4th of July. Uh, uh, the camp money for Thrive is due July 11th. It'll be going to YFN. 
uh, very soon summer camp. So that's due by July 11th. You can see Pastor Jonna, our youth pastor right here, about all those things. Other than that, let's get ready to rock and roll. And happy 4th of July to all of you. God bless you. Father, thank you for this great day. Thank you for your people, Lord. I declare in Jesus' name that no evil shall befall them and no plague shall come near their dwelling. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all other ways. I thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Jesus, the blood of the everlasting covenant that cleanses us and covers our lives. Thank you, Lord, that they're blessed everywhere they go and everything their hand touches prospers. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that we have to share this good news with this world, this very important truth that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Believe on him and receive everlasting life. Thank you, God, for all of these evangelists here in this room today, that they go do the work of the evangelist, Lord, with boldness and confidence in your message. Bless them in Jesus' name. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord. Great shall be their peace. And I declare in Jesus' name that peace and grace be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.